So let's start off with uh, acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognising their connection to land, waters and culture. Uh, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So welcome back to Bringing Pride to Work. Uh, today, Bianca and I are joined by uh, two guests from Origin Energy. Um, that is Dylan and Topher. Welcome. Hey, Nick, hey, Brady. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to have you here. Um, do we want to just go around and um, do some intros? Uh, what do you do? Um, you know, a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'll kick off. Um, I'm Tofa. I'm a product delivery lead at Origin with our product and growth team. Um, our broadband product is my little baby at the moment. Uh, in addition to doing that in my substantive role, I co-chair our pride committee with Dylan. Um, my name is Dylan Tierney. I am the uh, Diversity and Inclusion Coordinator at Origin. Um, I sit within the people and culture functions. I support um, Indigenous um, initiatives, women and also pride. Um, I also look after the um, uh, AWI submission for Origin Energy as well. And I'm also the co-chair with um, Topher at Pride. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you both here and uh Bianca, you're, this is your first time on the podcast as well. Do you want to give yourself a quick intro? Yeah, and I'm very excited about it. Um, so I'm Bianca and joined SAP about three to four months ago in the sales academy. And I'll be finishing that in December and then jumping straight into the Success Factors team as an account executive in Jan next year. All right, well, let's uh, kick it off. So today we're going to be talking about trans visibility and gender affirmation in the workplace. Um, so according to a 2021 study by Total Jobs Research, 65% of trans employees end up hiding their gender status and history at work. Um, so there are, you know, a lot of issues in terms of, um, I guess, representation, communication about these issues in work. And um, it's great to have you both here from Origin. Um, I was hoping you might be able to first take us through some definitions surrounding identities um, for our listeners who might not be aware. Yeah, um, so we're talking around just the gender identity um, definition. So, yeah, we have cisgender, which is uh, you identify with the sex that you were born at birth. Um, mm -hmm. If you're transgender, it's pretty much the reverse in that aspect. So you don't identify with the sex that you were assigned at birth. Um, then uh, yeah, sex assigned at birth is literally what it is. It is the, um, the sex um, characteristics uh, that you present uh, when you are um born basically um, and what is put onto your birth certificate and that's generally done in uh, an external character like your external sex organs is what determines that um, basically but that's not always the case for individuals because there could be internal sex organs that are, may differ from what is perceived to be that person's actual sex so um, we also have intersex which is um not a gender identity, it is its own, um, you know, uh, I guess, what would you call it, Topher? Uh, it's it's a variation that kind of diverges from what is the typical accepted definition of male or female. Right. And there's like 40 different versions um, or variations that are known to science um, about intersex variations and they differ from obviously being male or female. Um, there might be hormonal, chromosomal, uh, external sex characteristics as well. Um, also with uh, other definitions, you may have heard non-binary. That's also quite common these days. Non-binary are individuals that may sit outside the gender spectrum. So then they don't have a binary gender being uh, man or woman or male or female. 
um, uh, they may sit within that, they may explore their identity uh, being both or being neither. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, really interesting. And, you know, at the moment we're trying to drive a lot of kind of um, campaigns at SAP where, you know, it's just as simple as putting in your email signature your pronouns. Um, and that it's a small step that, that can go a really long way, but I'd be really interested to hear about, um, what you are doing at origin, um, in this area, because I understand that both of you have done incredible work, um, in kind of elevating the trans employee, um, experience and, you know, just, uh, being the first movers in creating guidelines and policies. So would you be able to walk us through that? Yeah, of course. Um, we kind of started out similar to what you're doing here in kind of building a foundation of knowledge, um, understanding what the words are because they do pop up quite regularly. And it's the first barrier for a lot of people in feeling comfortable to even engage and talk about what progress progressing in this space can look like. Um, so I guess another term that kind of is, is used or thrown around quite a lot, but maybe the understanding of it isn't really there, is this difference between sex and gender with sex being something that's, you know, physically observable and gender being something that's experiential. Um, you can assign someone a sex, you can't assign someone a gender because though they create that themselves and internally. Um, these kind of conversations when we went to within our business and wanted to talk to some of the gaps that we saw existing in terms of the mechanisms that we had to support people of trans or gender diverse experience, it really fell flat um, the first time we tried to engage. And what we realized quite quickly was that we did have to kind of close that educational gap and build that foundation of understanding so that people could understand the impact of the conversations we were having and where it is we were aiming to go. So the first time we went into a conversation at our business was to go to our executive team and just ask them, I guess, permission to ideate on a potential solution. So we didn't have the solution in place. We didn't know what we wanted to do, but we wanted resource and time to pull it apart and scrutinize it and take a look at what excellent could be. And they were a bit miffed. Um, they weren't hostile. They, they were supportive, but they just didn't know. They were like, oh, what's this? Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of went back to the drawing board and said, you know what, we need to do an education program first. So although we came to our business looking initially to put together a gender affirming support package, what we realized we needed first and foremost was a, a foundational education plan. And we quickly got to work putting one of those together. So, Topher, I heard that, you know, you, you ended up taking this up to the top and spoke to the CEO about, um, about this. How did that go? It was daunting. Um, at that point in time, Dylan wasn't sitting on our committee as a formal member. So, for me, there's a lot of kind of nervousness that comes with talking to trans and gender diverse identities when it's not an identity that I have. So, for me, it was like a huge privilege to step into that space and advocate, but it was also something I was like, oh God, I can't screw this up. Or um, do I even have a right to be here talking to this? Um, and Dill was really helpful for me in kind of learning and understanding and being confident enough to go and kind of speak to these these topics with people that, you know, sat above me in our business. Um, we had a series of conversations over probably a year and a half with our executive team. And ultimately it did kind of lead to us presenting the idea that we wanted to take through to, to build a policy and support mechanisms. Um, and 
we had resounding support from our executive team and our CEO, even challenging us to do more than we'd asked for, which was really surprising for us. And it kind of showed that our education worked. So when we proposed them with a few different plans, you know, an A, B or C, this is what, you know, just hitting the line looks like. This is what mediocre looks like. And this is what amazing looks like. They told us to take amazing and then think about how much further we could take it beyond what we'd presented. Wow. So it was really kind of... Um, I guess, encouraging to see that our leaders were even challenging us to ask for more and do more than we'd even thought we could ask them to do. So for me, it was quite a good experience, but not without nerves and not without a lot of kind of learning for myself along the way to feel confident to even talk about it. Of course. And it's it's amazing to hear that you've had that such great support straight from the top as well. Um, Dylan, obviously this issue would be, um, you know, quite close to your heart. Um, as a trans female, uh, would you be able to, if you're comfortable, of course, um, you know, talk us through some of your experiences and, um, you know, obviously why this was uh, important to you? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. It's um, it's important. Um, I guess because I had embarked on uh, my own gender affirmation while at Origin prior to any of this being launched, it kind of was a bit of a catalyst for it to happen. Um, we could see the impact that no support can actually have on an individual, um, you know, and, you know, I'm actually a really strong, resilient person myself and it knocked me for six, I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, different things with a gender affirmation that are hard and, um, yeah, even, this, the, you know, even really strong individuals uh, find it difficult. Um, what I found interesting is people did their best to support like to support me and my thing and they came from a, a real genuine place and that is awesome and I love that but there was a gap in people's understanding and um they just were unsure and sometimes unsure me that leads to like no action and no action leads to miscommunication or um yeah just different things like that um when I started to go through my social affirmation, that was supported, you know, pretty relatively well. And I was um, quite lucky in, in that aspect. I was able to dress how I wanted. I was able to use bathrooms that I, um, you know, my gender identity um, matched. Um, that none of that was really an issue. Um, there are other people who had gone through um, gender affirmation also at Origin that didn't have those same experiences in other areas, which there was inconsistency in messaging which is also, you know, why it was quite important that we had a, um, a top-down approach to making this all, you know, cohesive and everyone has the same experience. Um, when it came to my medical affirmation, though, um, that's when things got a little bit um, tricky, I guess. Um, you know, having to use your own annual leave um, to go and have major surgery uh, and then heal from that, um, uh, was tough, I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, you've only got a certain amount of time on your, your annual leave to have the surgery heal, get better and come back to work. And But, you know, it's a long, long process and sometimes it's not enough. And really, if you look at the definition of annual leave, is to have a you know, time away from work where you rest and recuperate and um, surgery is not really part of that. Um and because I had gone through that experience and done it in such a short amount of time, um, 
that led to me having to take a lot longer time off work because I wasn't able to heal properly. And um, it impacted, you know, my team and, you know, all of that um, more so because we hadn't taken appropriate measures from the get-go. Yeah, so that's kind of why we um, really started to pursue um, having a gender affirmation policy where appropriate leave was provided and... um, if you're going through a medical aspect, but then also all the mechanisms that support that in terms of like your social um, affirmation as well. For sure. And thank you so much for sharing um, that. It sounds, you know, so kind of awful to have to, you know, use your personal leave for something like that. And I think um, you make a great point in that um, annual leave should be for rest and relaxation, you know, Um, not for, um, you know, a, a pretty big medical um, journey. That's um, right. And I, um, I actually spent, I would say, a year and a half to two years saving all that leave to do that. Wow. So yeah. I actually did, yeah, you know, like, so you map out how long you've got and then you work and say, okay, I'm going to make all this. So not taking also a holiday within that time, then using that time and then now not having enough leave to have another holiday for another two years. So it does build up and there is a reason for it. Yeah, for sure. And so jumping from that, um, what's involved in the, you know, Gender Affirmation Guidelines at Origin now? Um, so basically when we took this on as a, we took this on as a actual project itself. And so we had support from specialists uh, in, you know, our people and culture team uh, from project managers and, you know, learning and development and organisational development specialists as well to really bring this to life. Um we set out from the onset that we really wanted to use three major pillars, which was social, legal, and medical, because they are what formed the gender affirmation experience itself. Um, and then from there, it would splinter down into, okay, how do we then um, create guidelines or support mechanisms for that individual who's going through that experience? How do we best support managers to support their team, you know, their, their direct report? And then also how do we also um, provide guidelines and support tools for colleagues because they want to do their best to support their friends and their their colleagues at work. So we really took that approach in uh, across all those three pillars on what they could do. So that's, um, yeah, where our guidelines kind of sit. So we have a social one and they're interchangeable. So it doesn't matter where you um, are in your gender affirmation journey, you can um, access them at any at any different stage. There's not one linear approach. Um, if you just want to go through, you know, the social aspect and change, you know, your name and you want to dress differently, you want to, um, you know, uh, you have mechanisms to uh, come out at work, you know, there are guidelines and templates um, and communication tools to do that um, that we created. Um, if it's legal, then uh, the legal aspects are more around, um, you know, providing that support on getting your um, email and uh, updated, you know, all your names changed in the system um, and just providing a bit more uh, sensitivities around what a, a, a name change is to someone who is trans or gender diverse. It's their chosen name, like they've chosen this identity and it's what's right for them. Um, but then when it gets to medical, um, that's um, a little bit more involved and a lot more um, PNC supported, if you w- would like. So we created a um, gender affirming 
plan or checklist and that acts as a communication tool between the individual, the manager and people and culture. Um, and that kind of just that maps out the journey on what that individual feels comfortable in taking at any stage and it's completely individually led. It's not the managers or PNC pressuring them or dictating how they manage their own affirmation. It's completely up to them. Um, but it just provides the business dates and times um, and uh, what to ask for when someone goes through a medical affirmation, such as doctor's certificates, return to work, capabilities, um, all of that kind of stuff, and then processing the uh, six weeks at full pay um, if you do want to take uh, uh, gender affirmation leave at Origin, or if you do need longer, it can be changed to 12 weeks at half pay. Um, as I mentioned before, that um, we went for that type of option because it can um, can impact people differently and everyone's uh, gender affirmation is very different and unique to them. Um, so we wanted to provide the most flexible um, options that we could within the parameters of uh, our business. Yeah, and that's amazing that you guys have done that um, and it's come so far with the journey. Have you also seen, I mean, starting from having like starting from a foundation, have you guys seen a shift in behaviours with executives and employees across Origin now that this is being implemented? Absolutely. The conversation's well and truly going. And I think having the policy like this really gave us an opportunity to put our money where our mouth is in terms of rather than having a diversity policy and a position on diversity, we took action. And I think that's where people start to respect the position of the business a little more. You shouldn't be able to just show a statement to prove that you support diversity and inclusivity. You should have so many mechanisms and so many processes in place to ensure that your position is being delivered on. And I think it legitimized our business position on, on this topic, particularly um, we've seen our executive team get behind and support. Um, Nick was saying earlier things like pronouns in signatures, um, formalising that, making it part of our signature template so that the bar is quite low for people to be able to jump in and, and access that. Um, and something like a pronoun or an email signature has multiple benefits outside of just, you know, people with diverse genders and sexualities. We work in so many multicultural environments now, different names, different ethnicities, things that you're not familiar with or you can't gender. Um, having a pronoun in there gives you a bit of a, a steer in the right direction so that you are referring to someone correctly. Um, so there's mutual benefits to come from these actions. And I think that's what's great about when we do have these diversity and inclusion conversations, although we might be focusing in you know, one project on trans and gender diverse inclusion, the flow and effects, the halo effect that comes from us taking a position on that benefits so many wider identities within our business. So it's been kind of cool to see where we're able to leverage those intersectionalities. We're having really amazing conversations about queer women in business and elevating women, which is one of our internal kind of goals. We're also finding those crossovers in our conversations around reconciliation and First Nations people in being able to talk to the specific queer identities that exist in those communities. So it's kind of just had this massive ripple effect across our business where we've embedded it. It's part of what we do day to day. It's not just a little silo that sits over here. Yeah, no, that's um, that's really interesting that that's how far you guys have taken it from building something, like, again, like, from a foundation. And what are you – because you mentioned that Origin 
you know, you've had your plan A, your plan B, your plan C, and they're just like, take it as far as you guys want. What kind of is the next steps or like what initiatives are you guys putting in place um, to kind of get the ball rolling on a few more things? Um, well, because we do with our Interfair Australian Workplace Quality Index, um, it does provide us um, opportunities to formalise or operationalise um, some of um, you know, the requirements around um, queer inclusion. Um, so we are working towards that and, you know, we're looking at that as, you know, as, as, as a framework or a foundation to then really look at other projects that we want to do. So Metoka mentioned, you know, elevating uh, the visibility of queer women. We know that that is a problem um, amongst corporate Australia and, and around the world. Um, and, you know, we're um, linking in with our equity network, our women's equity network, um, to how, how do we combat that together as a pride committee and also a gender equity committee. Um, so there's a lot of cross-collaboration there. Um, we also want to, um, you know, really get to know our regional spaces and um, how we can best support uh, places in regional Australia. Um, as we are an energy company, we do operate out there and we know that we do have um, people of diverse gender, sex and sexualities that do live there and what can we do um, to best support them um, that are not just city, we're not just a city-centric um committee um, and or you know organization that we do offer those supports so there are a few things that we've got going on um, and we're also doing gender uh, all gender bathrooms um, in our Melbourne office for now uh, so that will launch soon to help um, best support our commitments to inclusion um, you know they the all gender toilets for everybody um, so um, we just wanted to make sure that you know we articulated and um, demonstrated our commitment to inclusion by, you know, whilst our Melbourne office was going through a refit that we thought, well, why, why not? Let's see how what we can do. And, you know, our executive leaders were yet again on board. So, Yeah, even better, our executive. Um, so our executive, John Briskin, who's the head of retail at Origin, um, and our retail base is, is here in Melbourne, when the decision was made to renew the lease at our Exhibition Street building, it was actually John who tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, we're refitting. What do you want? Like, do you have a wish list? Is, is there anything we can do better? So in a kind of to what you said earlier, Nick, it's that top down. If, if you don't have engagement, you know, 100 levels above you, you're never going to make the kind of progress that you could make. And we found that it wasn't until we secured an executive sponsor and we were taking these conversations through to the executive team and kind of positioning them with the tools that they needed to kind of drive this in their business units that we started to see this. It just shifted into a different gear for us. We were grassroots. It was me and Dill sitting in meeting rooms with post-it notes on walls going, how do you build a policy? We've never done this. Um deciding we were going to learn HR overnight to be able to bring this to life. And then once we had that support from the top, we were able to find all these resources that existed and put them all together to deliver these results for us. And the bathroom is a really great example of where we laid some educational foundation and they, in the back of the head, went, oh, maybe there's something we could do here. We'll just check. And without that seed, maybe having been there, it could have been an opportunity we missed to kind of leverage the refit of our building to make it a little bit more accessible. Yeah, that's really I, also, I also think, though, as well, 
that um, leaders, um, you know, as queer people who do work in corporate spaces, we actually do provide businesses with um, uh, such a, oh, how would you say, I guess, an array of lived experiences and they're all extremely diverse and they're all extremely, um, you know, different and um, knowledgeable and we have the opportunity and um, to help guide organisations like our, both of our own to create meaningful, you know, changes to better support our communities. And I think really owning that power and finding those mechanisms of how you can have those conversations with people of influence um, is really beneficial. Um, you know, your lived experience is worth something. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um... I think you're you're right on the nose there, Dylan. Um, you know, bringing in diverse employees brings diverse knowledges and diverse experiences and diverse ideas, and it breeds innovation really. And I think it's so important for organisations of any size to embrace that um, because you know people are going to remain diverse, and you know, especially in a multicultural society and in in a society with you know a lot more visibility of LGBTQ folks. Um, it's really important to have that um, diversity and visibility and, you know, workplaces should reflect the society that they work in. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't seem like rocket science and yet, you know, it, it often does come down to the numbers at the end of the day, um, especially for those people at the top. Um, and, you know, to that point, it's, you know, LGBTQ inclusion um, is linked to individual productivity increases and, you know, inclusive companies outperform um, you know, other their, their other competitors um, on stock markets and stuff. So if that's what it has to come down to, then, you know, it's unfortunate that that's, that's where it does lie. But, um, you know, there is benefit in that. Um, yeah. Is there, is there anything else that um, Dylan or Topher that you wanted to add before we, we wrap things up? We're coming to time soon. Um, but is there anything you wanted to bring in? Um, I would just also mention as well, you know, um, you know, making sure that you, that, you know, when you're creating, you know, uh, trans inclusion or you know, gender, trans and gender diverse inclusion or, you know, LGBTQ inclusion, um, all these different acronyms that we use, um, diversity, is, you know, making sure that we do it from an authentic place um, and it's, you know, um, that we are inclusive of everyone, um, not just our own communities but everyone. Making sure that our policies are... Reflect, reflective of those, you know, identities as well. You know, updating bullying and harassment, you want to make sure your recruitment and selection is, you know, you want to draw in people. Um, you want to make sure parental leave is inclusive. You want to make sure you have gender affirmation um, and that, you know, if you're public facing, that your in-house, um, you know, workplace culture reflects what you project um, to the world. Uh, I think that's really, really important. Um, uh, it's a really important step uh, for any organisation to make sure that um, you create a safe um, and inclusive workplace before you uh, amplify that publicly. And to Dill's point, I guess tr making sure that every you consider everybody um, when you're coming through with these initiatives. For us, one of the things that we've tried to stay really firm on in the way that we position any of the work we're doing is that our intention isn't to change people's beliefs. It's just to guide their behaviours. Um, if, if you've got any kind of cultural, religious, moral 
issues with any of the things that we talk to, hold on to those. They're yours to have, but there's a right way to behave in a workplace. And we want to make sure you know what that is. And the Australian discrimination laws also want to make sure you know what that is. So for us, the argument has always been, it doesn't matter if you're ready. It doesn't matter if you agree. We just want to make sure you don't break a law at the very minimum. Um, and we want to position you with the tools to make sure that at the very least, you're able to afford someone a legally compliant work environment um, at its barest, most reductive route. That's what we're here to try and help for. Obviously, we want to, you know, we don't just want to bake a cake, we want to decorate it too. So we try and go a little bit further and bring people in for the stories and understand the impact. But the ultimate goal for us is just make sure you're behaving appropriately at work and we'll help you do that. Yeah. Learning, for people to learn, they have to make mistakes along the way and not vilifying people for doing that is extremely important, especially, you know, for people who are you know, in, the, in you know, the LGBTQ community who have they're really battled. Um, it can be sensitive and it can be hard, but you know most people do come from a place of, in, of good intent. And I think it's also a responsibility for you know queer people like ourselves to um, also you know remember that that people are trying and they are learning. And learning is a journey. It's not an overnight thing. Um, and we really factor that into everything that we do at Origin. So. Yeah. My team leader models it perfectly. Um, she's trying to really move away from using guys um, after we kind of gave a little bit of a one-on-one and why it's kind of, you know, gendered language. And in meetings, she'll be like, hey, guys. Oh, sorry. Hey, everyone. And she'll self-correct, won't make a big deal of it, but demonstrate the right behavior. And it's those kind of little things where people don't feel so stressed about making a mistake because they know it's going to happen and they just, you know, get back on course and keep moving and that's kind of been our message is you are going to stuff up when I hear someone read out that acronym my hat comes off to them because I'm like I struggle getting those letters out of my mouth sometimes so if you're someone who has no vested interest in this personally but you're even trying to say LGBTQIA plus mate good for you like first hurdle done and kind of recognizing people for even just saying the acronym that's so hard um being able to get that out of their mouth and it's not to kind of placate people or, you know, pat them on the back and be over the top. But when people are trying, we should be encouraging them. And when they make a mistake, we should go, you'll get it next time. Yeah. If they keep making the mistake again and again, and again, that's a behavior. That's not a skill gap. Um, and you address that differently. But for us, it's all about kind of when you were little, when you first started to walk, you used to fall over. And if your parents yelled at you when you fell over, you'd have no incentive to get up and try again if they encourage you until, you know, have another go, you'll get a little bit further next time. You eventually feel more confident and you try again and you get a little bit further every time. That's the approach we're trying to take with the way that we have these conversations in our workplace. You are going to fall over. If we're not cheering you on, you've got no incentive to get back up and try again. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a really important point that you make. You know, it's all about just trying to be your best and trying to be inclusive and, you know, keeping that in mind. Um, so if anyone from, you know, the origin neck of the woods wants to find out a bit more about um, what's available to them, uh, where can they find that? Um, what's available to them? So, yeah, for any origin employees, um, we have our um, people and culture portal um, that has everything on there. We have our learning and development hub, which has all of our uh, resources um, available on there through your, our Embrace Pride learning pathway. Um, we also have our inclusion hub, which houses all of um, our information on policies and um, what we have available as well. Awesome. And, and for- our private work um, 
late class channel, which they can't forget to plug. That's sweet. And for any SAP folk out there who'd like to know more, make sure you check out SAP's gender transition guidelines, uh, which you can download on Jam or SharePoint or contact uh, anyone from the Pride at SAP team. Um, Bianca, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I just wanted to say thank you so much, um, Topher and Dylan, for your time today. Really appreciate your sharing your experience and your knowledge and your journey along the way at Origin um, and looking to um, hear about more stuff later in the future. Yes, that's happening. Thanks, B. Thanks, Nick. It's been great to come along. Thanks for coming.